you already know what it is. Back with another episode of the Dynasty Dom. But before we get started, let's drop that intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. Like, share, subscribe, download that app. It's all free so you can get all the best content, all the best notifications, all the best news, all the best functions. We got it all here at Brodo. We in Army, and we always producing the best. Much love, much respect. We back with another episode of the Dynasty Dawn. We're supposed to have Casanova on, the math magician himself, to talk some player comps for you all, some projections of these rookies heading into the Dynasty drafts. But my boy is out in Sweden living his best life, getting back from Estonia on vacation. So we're letting him have some downtime. So as a consolation, I'm diving deep into rookie strategies. I'm unlocking the sauce for y'all, pouring the sauce down on all of the Dynasty world and bringing my strategies for rookie drafts, specifically the 2023 rookie draft and touching on some basics and obviously some more in-depth strategies, some in-depth terms, future outlooks, things that we, you know, as common or uncommon dynasty players, whether you're veteran or seasoned or first timers or new to the lingo, all of these things are going to be incredibly relevant. We're going to break them down, touch base on some rookie names, obviously some pick selections, um, what you can do with these picks, where you can project these pick values in comparison to future years, in comparison to years past, how you can become a better drafter, a better manager, and somebody that can constantly churn value and production into your dynasty rosters. So without further ado, I mean, let's just get right into it. It's that time of year again. I mean, the days are getting longer, the flowers are budding, spring is on the rise, and dynasty rookie drafts are the focal point of all the fantasy football discord. Obviously, redraft is still in a slumber and in hibernation, but dynasty is heating up. People are starting their early rookie drafts. They're getting their profiles and their rankings solidified for the pre-draft outlook. Obviously, a lot of people like to get those rookies selected and on their rosters before they even have NFL teams to maybe get ahead of the curve or increase the risk potentially. But also, you know, we're only a few days away from the NFL draft. So all of this is incredibly pertinent. There's several ways for dynasty managers to optimize value with rookie draft picks and prepare for the shock of massive shifts in the market value before and after the NFL draft, for sure. In order to prepare for the rookie draft, there are obviously some proven strategies, some tried and true uh, testaments to implement in the weeks leading up to and during the dynasty rookie draft, specifically when you're on the clock, that help you build that ever-seeking dynasty of continued production, continued value, and, you know, more than one championship in a three-year window. That's kind of the point. And, and I think that's also something that I've reiterated a few times on the podcast, sure, but it is often overlooked, especially with the social media market so to speak, taking its toll and its play in the dynasty market, where a lot of people forget that it really is about winning championships. It's great to have the most valuable roster in perceived value insulation on the market, but that doesn't really mean much if you can't win championships within your window of production. And I truly believe that any asset other than 
maybe quarterbacks because we obviously see a longer shelf life with them should be perceived to have a three-year window of top end production and you should try to maximize that production within that window by accruing as many of those players as possible and if you can't get those players to produce that production then you start the rebuild process and get picks that accrue value um but it is often overlooked that it's not necessarily about having the most valuable roster it's certainly about having the most productive one as well and dynasty shouldn't always be about building through value but building through elongated production which obviously comes hand in hand with value but there is a misconception that you can immediately win a dynasty championship if you have 10 first round picks and that's honestly just not true it can certainly spark an incredible rebuild but you also have to have the depth and have all of those picks hit or be able to make maneuvers with those picks to acquire proven talent which is always going to cost more once that talent is proven now assuming that you're going to hit 100 on rookie picks is just foolhardy nobody's going to the nfl can't you can't either it's a billion dollar business of missing um and with that said you can mitigate risk and a lot of what mitigating risk has to do is with cost evaluation and it's where you're putting these picks into play drafting somebody like zach charbonnet for example in a 2023 draft at 110 111 112 a lot of the risk is assumed by a later first round pick now if you really love jack zach charbonnet and he's your rb2 behind Bijan robinson excellent but spending one two or one three on charbonnet is foolhardy both for the market and for the risk of the profile itself. That's why these ADPs play out the way that they do. Um, with that said, that one of the most important things, and I think overlooked things as well, um, with dynasty strategies and, and rookie strategies with these rookie drafts is to remain patient. It sounds very simple and obvious, yet is, again, often overlooked. Rookie picks will accrue value in dynasty leagues until the moment that they are used on a player in the draft. Then that pick is attached to the name and the assumed production of said name. And what I mean by accrue value is, like, 2023 picks are going to be always a little... Over, or whatever year you're in, let, we're in 2023 draft, so let, let's use that. But 2023 picks should always hold a little more perceived value than 2024 picks. But when tiers solidify, as they're starting to in this 2023 draft class, you can begin to define where you would willingly trade a 2023 pick straight up for a supposed random or early 2024 first. And that tier in this draft, for example, is around 1.8. That 2024 selection will then accrue value beyond your perception of 1.8 up until the 2024 draft. That is what accruing value means. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get better production from said pick. It means that that player is now susceptible to the volatility of production, of injury, of dynasty market shifts, whereas the pick in 2024, regardless of landing spot, is not susceptible to those things because it is not attached to a player yet. So remaining patient is really important. Rookie picks will accrue value in dynasty leagues until they're used on a player in the draft. Once that selection is made, the hypothetical value attached ceases to exist. The 2023 draft class yields a litany of top rated prospects. I think that is getting overlooked. Part of that reason, in my opinion, is because of how many solid 
draft talents we have at the running back position and how many solid running backs are currently in the NFL. We have reached an apex both in the dynasty market and the NFL market where running backs don't hold the same value as they used to. So in 2020, when the 2023 draft class first began to get all of this hype based on some impressive freshman breakouts from running backs, the running back position in Dynasty was still incredibly valued, similar to the QB2 position in Superflex Leagues, because of how hard it was to find replacement value um, at that position. Now, with so many talented running backs still in a positive window, although a lot of those windows are closing with guys like Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, reaching their 26, 27, 28 season, where that age apex and production cliff usually exists. Um, But with so many of those running backs still active in the NFL, the overall perception of the 2023 draft class value is now diminished, but that does not diminish the level of talent or prospect that is in the class necessarily. Guys like Sean Tucker, Tank Bigsby, Zach Evans, even Kendra Miller still have very positive prospect profiles and incredible upside should they all meet their potential. The issue is that the running back position as a whole is now beginning to be devalued. So to wrap it up, remain patient with your picks, whether you intend on using them on an upcoming rookie or trading them away for proven assets, don't sell them short of their peak value. And that peak value usually comes in the last week before your rookie drafts or specifically on the clock of your rookie drafts when teams are finally fully assessing their teams and what they want to do with their future. Obviously, the your rookie drafts and dynasty leagues marks an incredibly important apex where teams need to put up or shut up and realize what direction they're moving their team in. So don't sell your picks before you allow other managers to offer you the maximum value in order to control their own fate, so to speak. Whether they make the right decision or not is irrelevant to your management of those picks. So just don't sell your picks short of their peak value. The next strategy, and I mean, not necessarily a strategy, but kind of what you're expected to do, but there's still some strategy to it is drafting a rookie, specifically using your 1-1-1-2-1-3 on whoever you perceive to have the most value at that position, who you think will return the most on the market if you can't get a deal done immediately on the clock, or who will help your rosters the most. There's no better feeling in Dynasty than drafting a soon-to-be NFL superstar and watching that player ascend into that stardom. However, obviously, as we should know by now as dynasty managers, even new ones, not all prospects are created equal. The predictability of success at the NFL level, well, I mean, it remains highly erratic still. <laughs> like That's what I mean is when I said earlier, it's a billion dollar business of missing. Like NFL scouts get paid higher than any other scout in any other professional sport um, other than just the sheer size of scouting teams in baseball, but specifically the individual positions of head scouts in NFL. They make more than any other. And they can't figure out the process, even with all of the helps of modern analytics and the insane experience that other scouts bring to the table with their f- film process and having, you know, 
all the same tools and access that us as lowly fantasy managers have, they still can't get it right. Predictability of success at the NFL level, it remains highly erratic at best. If you intend to knock every rookie selection out of the park, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. So the best thing to do, as simple as it sounds, is become familiar with every player possible in every incoming draft class. That means, yes, scouting college players. Yes, it means watching college football if you're a film preference manager or a film preference fantasy scout and preparing yourself with several rookie mock drafts, whether it be with the people in your own league, if if they're willing to kind of give away those secrets and tendencies or making notes of their tendencies in previous drafts, again, is very important. But prepare yourself with several rookie mocks, gain familiarity with potential value tiers and positional scarcity in each draft class, and also look at historic ADP data. What I mean by historic ADP data, which by the way, remains surprisingly predictive of future success and value insulation, is you can even look at redraft ADP. is an excellent place to start if you don't want to pay through the paywalls to see all of the dynasty historic ADP data, even just look at historic redraft ADP is a great way to analyze the value insulation of incoming rookies. What we lack as individual scouters, we seem to be incredibly efficient at as a mass thinker, meaning guys that have extremely high rookie ADPs, both in, in dynasty and redraft leagues, have more future insulated value regardless of their production. And it's because there's a certain amount of anchoring bias there. Yes, people don't want to be proven wrong. One year is always, you know, too little of a time to really tell an NFL career, whether it's going to be positive or negative, although it does start to paint a positive or a pretty clear picture of range of outcomes. It's still unclear after year one whether or not guys are going to truly ascend but with that said historic adp tells you what the masses and the masses are the market feel about a rookie player and their expectation of said rookie player's production specifically when you're looking at that redraft adp and using that as a tool for dynasty what that player's production is going to look like in year one 2,000 people selecting the same player above consensus is a better indicator than you assuming that that player should be ranked below. Not to say that your own assumptions are wrong, but to say that the masses will give you a much clearer indicator of where that player's future value will be. So individually Individual scouting and stiff player evaluations that lack flexibility can often lead to an obvious subjective bias. You're not perfect. Nobody is. NFL scouts aren't. Whereas collective data of mass opinion can lead to a much better understanding of congruent and future player value. That's really all you need to know and look at when drafting rookies, which kind of leads into another simple but obvious strategy as well when looking at rookies, sometimes the best strategy is to just draft the best player available. The guy with the highest ADP and the best profile attached to said ADP, the guy with the least risk, the guy with the most safety, the best player available, BPA, as people like to say. This strategy goes hand in hand with the previous one of just selecting good players with 
minimal risk and solidified solidified profiles at the proper spots as in not reaching on your favorite players just because you like to play that they had in college and not ignoring all market trends to try to prove everybody wrong. The strategy of selecting best player available goes hand in hand with everything we just mentioned. Sometimes the best method is to ignore positional needs, draft the best prospect available, especially if you're looking to trade away, Reaching for a prospect just because you need a specific position or like, hey, look, I need a running back. Damian Pierce is the only one available that has a decent profile and a starting role solidified. I'm going to select Damian Pierce in the first round. And that's what we saw happen last year. And then Damian Pierce had four weeks of positive production and was never to be heard from again and will likely be placed replaced in this round with a in this draft rather in a higher round potentially with a much better collegiate prospect. And that's just the business of the NFL. Players will get replaced. And but drafting the best player available, especially when you're looking in super flex leagues, talking about quarterbacks that are selected in the top 10 who have extreme insulated value, regardless of their year one production or wide receivers selected in the top 20. Same goes for top 60 running backs. If you look at that historic ADP data, as we were talking about in those tiers, you're talking about maximizing value in production. And that should always be your primary focus. Reaching for a prospect because of positional needs is negative value. You need to draft with the intention of being continuously active on the market, even after your selection, during the draft and after your draft, all the way leading up to the NFL kickoff and continuously after that. Take advantage of managers that overvalue less talented rookies, as I just mentioned, that are looking for positional need. Remember, it's not about building just year-to-year value or winning year one out. Yes, winning is always the strategy, but you should build for your future and for the maximum amount of production within what I like to call the win window, which is a three-year window as possible. So reaching for players for that one-year positional boost when there are probably better prospects in the next if you would have kept that selection or traded that selection away for future value. Doing that is just going to create negative value, put you in a worse hole. It may accidentally increase the value of your pick next year because you're bottoming and bottoming out again, but you should be trying to win, trying to increase both production and value at the same time. Best player available allows you to do that. Even if you can't get a trade return on that market and it wasn't your favorite prospect that went six picks later. And, you know, that player is deemed that manager's favorite prospect. Taking the best player available allows you to insulate both production and value. Reaching should go without saying is never a good strategy, which brings us to the next way that you're going to attack rookie drafts and the next most obvious strategy of how to attack rookie drafts, and that's trading, trading up, trading down, trading for proven assets. We're going to talk about the trade market and how rookie picks are valued during the trade process of the draft process, both leading up to the NFL draft, during your rookie drafts, post NFL draft, and throughout the offseason. Whether you're in the first or the fourth round, sorry, I had to take a sip, <laughs> but whether you're in the first round, 
or the fourth round, trading up into a higher value tier is a common and useful strategy. Seems simple, but more often than not, this strategy is implemented by contenders that feel comfortable with giving away multiple assets for a single positional improvement. Trading up when you're rebuilding, sometimes it obviously can yield incredible success when you move up a succinct tier like in... Let's, for example, go back to Jamar Chase's draft class with Kyle Pitts, um, Najee Harris even being pushed up a little bit. Obviously, the Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback hype, made for some very succinct tiers in that first round. Moving up from the middle of that tier and paying up, say, a second or even a perceived third in some markets for that Jamar Chase tier has obviously yielded and will continue to yield in certain classes incredible value. But more often than not, rebuilding teams should and are less likely to instigate a massive trade-up because they need that depth. They need the flexibility of position or a pick value rather over positional value giving away numerous assets in a rebuild even in later rounds can minimize their chances of hitting on lower value rookie tiers of kind of capitalizing on the cost above replacement being in a tier well above the initial cost of acquisition so trading up in early rounds for top tier rookie assets is obviously a costly gamble that can yield incredible results like acquiring the one one this year via a trade where you would get Bijan robinson who is undeniably a top 12 dynasty market asset is going to cost you multiple firsts or at the very least the one two and another first for somebody that doesn't want to go rb or feels pretty rb heavy and needs a qb something along that lines it's going to cost you a significant payup because there's nobody else in this draft class that has top 12 overall dynasty super flex startup value in one QB leagues going much higher than the 112 obviously going around the 1312 and one QB leagues in dynasty startups so paying up for Bijan Robinson as a rebuilder is going to yield the best asset in the class sure but the cost that it will require in a rebuilding frame is probably negative value when you could just as easily add a JSN, Jameer Gibbs, Jordan Addison level prospect plus two or three other players that can yield a decent enough range of outcomes and hit rate that you were giving yourself three or at the very least two spots of positive production for multiple years. This is not to say that you should trade away the one, one, if you're looking to select Bijan Robinson, although there is strategy to that, you should absolutely gain back as much value as possible. You should value one, one as Bijan Robinson only, regardless of how you feel the QB market should analyze these rookies and super flex leagues specifically, obviously in one QB QB leagues, there's no contest. It's Bijan one, one. He's a top three asset in one QB dynasty leagues, but in super flex leagues, probably settling around the one ten to one twelve in startups. That means that you should be getting back at the very minimum two to three first round picks. If it's only two, then you're talking about two early seconds on top of that because everybody else in that same tier would yield that on the trade market. You're talking, you know, the Jalen Hurts's, the CD Lambs, the Justin Herbert's, Trevor Lawrence's, uh, Justin Fields at the one six and so on and so forth. Um, First round in dynasty startups is 
the most important round, and you should be getting equal value back if you're looking to trade away that 1-1. Trading up into that 1-1, you have to understand everything that was just said, you're going to, it's going to cost you. So if you're in a rebuilding phase, trading up to get that Bijan, it will yield the best asset, but may not yield the best value for your roster. If you're in any sort of contending position where you're at the one, six, one, seven, one, eight, got bounced in the first round of the playoffs, feel like you're one running back away, or even one positional player away where you can slide someone down into that flex and truly upgrade the depth and power puncher power punch of your team. Then by all means trading that, you know, early second and or early first rather in a future year or perceived early first in a future year and additional seconds for Bijan to push your the value of your team and production of your team past that early first round exit point I'm absolutely for but understanding where your team trajectory is overall whether you are one asset away being self-aware and understanding the value of these tiers is greatly important especially when you're looking to trade back Trading back in order to acquire multiple assets is easily everyone's favorite strategy in Dynasty, especially when you look and can start to define your own tiers in rookie drafts. For example, I would have Bijan Robinson in a tier of his own, clearly as the 1-1, and then a tier break with the top three rookie quarterbacks in Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Should Anthony Richardson meet his peak, and in that order, should Anthony Richardson meet his peak, he would certainly have QB1 overall upside based on rushing production and athleticism alone. That said, I value all three of those QBs in a similar tier for different reasons, but in a very similar tier. So if somebody feels a certain way and a strong conviction about using that 102 selection on one of those specific quarterbacks, and they are sitting at, say, you know, one three or one five, and, and they don't want that quarterback to be selected ahead of them, and you can add any sort of value on top of it, say it be their early second or a future first from the same manager and still get a similar level value player in that exact same tier. That is how you build a true dynasty. As I previously mentioned, obviously, the hit rate of rookie prospects in the NFL is erratic and unpredictable. Even the best prospects have a chance to bust. There is no denying that. Every single prospect is built differently. There are certain reasons that guys have red flags over others. Nuance always needed to be added. But with that said, there is no such thing as a perfect prospect. That does not exist. It is a unicorn, a nuance, an idiom that is used to describe things that are non-existent. But there is something as a perfect bet on a prospect. And what that means is being able to manipulate the market in a certain way that you are controlling the investment cost of similarly valued rookies. If both, for example, to give easy numbers, if both players have a 50% hit rate chance based on their analytic and draft capital profiles, a 50% hit rate chance of becoming a wide receiver one in the NFL, but somebody is willing to pay you a second to take the other wide receiver, 100% of 100 times, you should take the other wide receiver. And that's what trading back is. 
So giving yourself multiple options, multiple points of flexibility and assets to invest improves the odds of building sustained success because there is no such thing as a perfect prospect. If you are giving up a top six first round pick in any given year, be sure to obtain a future first or later first round pick plus an asset that covers the inferred value gap in return. A game plan I enforce in several of my rookie mock drafts is trading a single late first. So you're talking like 110, 19, maybe depending on where the tiers break. And this year I would call it 19, which I absolutely did. A, a very similar trade that I just made is I traded 19, Elijah Moore, and the perceived value jump that Jordan Love is currently receiving as the perceived starter for the Packers. I don't want to see him play. I want to take advantage of that value gap. So I did. I took the 19, which is where I see the tier break. I added an asset that has a chance to accrue a lot of value in Elijah Moore should he return to that late breakout rookie production so that the manager I am dealing with still feels like they are getting some positive value peaks in return. And I got a Monroe St. Brown. So a game plan I love to enforce is taking the top of that final tier should you have that pick in your first round whether it be 1-9 through 1-12 or wherever that final tier breaks and trading it for a super solidified asset with a little bit of juice added on your side or multiple early second round picks like getting 2-1 and 2-3 or 2-2 and 2-4 and get a throw in on top of that tell them you need a, you know a, a late third in future years that this jump to 110 is going to make them a playoff contender. So you don't want just, uh, you know, to eat a bunch of value by trading away your, your first. So the value drop between a late first and an early second is often pretty minimal when you're speaking of rookie tiers, but that two beside that number creates an undeniable perception that the prospect is worse. <laughs> so trading that 110 for 112, adding some juice for someone proven, or getting back multiple early seconds in the same year, a throwing asset in a future year, or pushing that value for multiple early seconds or a future first in a different year, which I'm going to get into that avenue of strategy as well, is always an excellent, excellent way to improve both production mitigate risk and improve value on your roster in what is a pretty simple move to pull off for the most part in all honesty people do get attached to rookies and they attach names to picks rather than value to picks which i get it i genuinely understand having my guys i have my guys in every class and every year if you've listened to the podcast or seen me on twitter or heard me talk ever about dynasty one of those my guys is rondale moore i'm always going to be above consensus on rondale moore i will adjust of course as rondale either hits certain thresholds throughout his career or does not hit them obviously a little disappointing so far but there has been a lot of positivity in players like rondale who have by the way incredibly solid collegiate profiles so you can Adjust with the market, of course, always have my guys, but be willing and be flexible. Know that you can take a similar chance with a similar hit rate of both value and production by just saying, you know what, I'll pass on my guy to get a similarly rated prospect with a similarly rated hit rate and get to add another prospect that has just a slightly lower level hit rate. 
it's it's increasing value at the easiest avenue. And, and the easiest avenue to always increase value in dynasty drafts is going to be through your rookie drafts. Strategies like this, although they seem basic, people get nervous about them. People don't know what to do when they're on the clock. People have, you know, regrettable reactions sometimes when on the clock when either making selections or making trades because they feel like they're under insane amounts of pressure whether it come from you know the pressure of wanting to fix your roster in in one immediate move or the pressure of dealing with somebody that is difficult to trade with while you're on the clock or dealing with the pressure of missing out on all the guys that you would have in a succinct tier and now you're left with only players you want to trade away from and nobody wanting to have that trade. So you're trying to decipher which player in this lesser tier really does give you the best chance of improving. All of those things are going to create an understandable amount of psychological pressure. That's why being flexible with trading back, trading up, saying, I don't need to draft this player because I can improve my team this way in such an easier method is really something that people say they do or claim is easy, but then forget about, you know, when it comes crunch time. The necessity of being right creates a lot of biases. There's no need to be right when you can be safe and win. Being right does feel incredibly great, but the nuance of being right about a prospect and putting all of your eggs in one basket comes from several different tiers and what I kind of mean by that is I love and like certain profiles there's certain production profiles and certain thresholds that I'm always going to see as a positive potentially even over consensus in in analytics but always going to see as a positive in player profiles one of those things is over two and a half yards per team pass attempt while having also over one whole yard of offense per team play that to me says that a player is not only dominating the market share of receiving but he's dominating the offense in general that the coach thinks this guy is so good they're going to cater the system to him not make him play over a dying scheme so those are some of the you know just for example there's always going to be things that I enjoy in players that I love in players, but I'm also always going to have the flexibility to say that I'm not perfect. There's no way you can be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect prospect. So being able to move away from my own biases and take a similar shot and add value, you got to take that chance a hundred times out of a hundred. There's no denying it. Brings you to kind of the third tier that you're going to utilize when you're trading up back, postponing value in your rookie drafts is acquiring proven producers. I mean, it seems obvious, but we're, we're here finally acquiring guys that are already dominating the NFL. As I alluded with that Amon Raw trade, there's going to be succinct tiers in every rookie draft that are not necessarily the same tiers that other managers perceive. And they want the elusiveness of having more control 
selecting a rookie that produces above their cost and beating that tier. There's a misconception that managers must use their rookie draft picks on an actual rookie. This is everything we've talked about is leading up to this. All of these trades, these selections, everything is not necessarily the rookie or the collegiate prospect themselves. It's being able to use these picks, use this value to do whatever you want. Picks give you the flexibility to control the market. The more you get, the more flexible your roster is. Now, picks can't produce points. True. But picks can give you the choice of the avenue in which you can produce points. Players cannot. Players are susceptible once again to the volatility of real life. Picks are only susceptible to the volatility of psychology. And things that have insulated value that cannot lose value, like dynasty draft picks, will always psychologically give you a certain level of flexibility that cannot be matched with players. That said, you don't need to use those picks on a rookie. You can use those picks to acquire value and accrue value in different ways. Procuring proven NFL talent with rookie picks, it's a profitable, viable, and I'm specifically veterans, recruiting proven NFL talent that are declining veterans in value that are still dominating the NFL field, guys like Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, using seconds and combining seconds and thirds or using firsts in that one nine tier to get guys like St. Brown. That's always going to yield more value than acquiring a rookie alone. It's oh, We're going to bring it back again, but there is no perfect prospect. There's always a certain level of risk, some players with less risk. Sure, but always a certain level of risk when it comes to scouting, developing, and acquiring young NFL talent. You can never tell what happens between the ears, behind closed doors, on the whiteboard, in a coach's mind that's going to lead to what could be the most promising of prospect profiles into an NFL superstar. There's no way to quantify that as dynasty managers, regardless of how much we like to claim that we can. Some people are certainly better than others at refining their process and mitigating their own risks, but attempting to best the NFL in your scouting process is never going to work. So acquiring proven NFL talent and veterans with rookie picks, it's a profitable, a viable, an overlooked, and a system that most people are scared to use. I, I know a lot of people get overly attached to certain names in rookie drafts and certain names that are already on their dynasty rosters, but you should never consider a player untradeable or untouchable or undraftable or any of those idioms. A common theme of this article has been the volatility of rookie hit rates in the NFL of this episode. <laughs> Relinquishing a rookie selection, using that pick on a similarly valued player, that allows managers to immediately increase their overall roster without investing or in a potential bust or accruing any risk with the unknown hit rates and unknown of an NFL rookie. Now, Obviously, guys can fizzle out in the NFL as well, but it's much less likely that a proven asset in their sixth, seventh season, even though they're bleeding value on the dynasty rock, 
uh, market, it is much less likely that that elite asset stops producing at elite level than it is for an elite prospect to outproduce that elite asset in year one. Even players like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, obviously wide receiver one, wide receiver two on the dynasty market, respectively, neither one were wide receiver one overall in the rookie season. You can still increase your value and your win now window by paying up for that current wide receiver one overall. And it's not a negative move. Obviously we can look at team builds in different perceptions in different ways. I personally think you should have an equal level of veteran producers, young rookie up and comers starters that can produce at a young age on your roster. The Devonte Smiths who are around wide receiver 13 to 16, depending on the market consensus you use guys in that tier, um, obviously backup running backs again, v- veteran producers, rookie picks. You should have a mix of all of these things. That way you're not closing the market door to any specific manager. Managers that are contending are going to be less likely to buy rookie picks and trade away veteran producers. Having veterans allows you to acquire their future rookie picks. Managers in a rebuild are less likely to acquire high producing veterans with declining value. If you have younger assets on the fringe, it makes it easier to acquire their picks. Or if you're in a position to push a few chips in or even offer something to a contending manager, it makes it much easier for you to shed picks to them for their higher rated assets. It seems like a simple give and take, but far too often do people try to pigeonhole themselves into one specific build or one specific type of player or one specific asset or acquiring all the picks or trading away all of their top end producers for future value. Too often people create tunnel visions on how they should build teams. And I think the most beneficial way to build a continuous dynasty is by having all 11 or 14 or 16, however many managers are in your league, um, have all of them be able to trade with you um, by providing a fluid and flexible market on your own roster. So acquiring proven producers allows you to elongate that flexibility, increase that production, and increase that overall value of the roster where you're not just holding a risky asset that a contender or a fringe contender may not want to acquire. One of my favorite overall strategies and the last one that I'm going to touch on in this very special 2023 Dynasty Rookie Strategy episode of the Dynasty Don is simple. It's simple, but complex. It's kind of a enigma wrapped in a nutshell. Okay, (laughs) it's postponing value. It's postponing value. That means willingly taking the, I wouldn't say hit, but willingly objecting from the current value of whatever selection you may have in the 2023 class to postpone that value into future value or future picks or increased um, potential with seconds, thirds, where you, you know, one player isn't going to put you over the top, but you can maybe manage if you have a great draft and have a hit rate on four or five different players um, rather than, you know, just the risk of one. But postponing value gets a little scary for some managers because they want to win or they want to not necessarily win, but they want to fix or rebuild or, you know, 
beat the house, so to speak, beat the casino with one pick, with one hand, with one draft, with one trade, with one selection, rather than continuously building and being an active manager. So when you're postponing value by trading rookie picks into the next season, that can help you elongate your window of success and stack young talent through future years. This strategy is akin to trading back, obviously, in rookie drafts, with the caveat of trading for multiple future picks down the road rather than just equal value right now. You should always perceive future picks to have less value regardless of the strength of draft class. I don't care what people say. You should always perceive future picks to have less value than the current picks that are on the clock. And why I say regardless of the strength of draft class when you can kind of even tell sometimes that the year out the draft class is going to be much stronger is because you never know what's going to happen to the market. Your leagues could unfortunately, as true as it is, fold and collapse and you lose all investment and all value and don't have any picks to use. Your favorite prospects of future could get hurt, could collapse, could not turn into the stunning talents you thought they would, a la, let's say, an Isaiah Spiller. Um, anything can happen. League markets should always value the current draft more than future years. That's not always true depending on class, but that's certainly my opinion. So postponing future value is akin to trading back in your rookie drafts, but you got to get multiple future picks down the road. Managers are often less attached to draft picks that are one or two years away, allowing for savvy purchases during the current draft year, especially when we speak of those final tiers. When you get to that 1-9, in this year's draft. So a great example, in my opinion, of this would be trading away the 2023-110 or 1-11 or 1-12 or 1-9 or whatever uh, for a random 2024 first and potentially multiple seconds. And the theory behind that is that a move of this nature is based on a guaranteed value increase. A 2023-112 turns into a 2024-2025 first, which obviously cannot finish below 112 in a 12-man league. That ensures, at the very least, stable value and a stable asset, which may not have been the case if that pick were to be used on an incoming player or even current NFL talent. Eventually, when postponing value and kicking value down the road, so to speak, eventually you're going to look to capitalize. But the idea of that is also that you can capitalize when that 112 investment turns into a 103 because a manager mismanaged his team or didn't get the hit rate that he thought he was going to with that 112 and that broken last year. So at the very least, you're ensuring stable value and likely a major value increase come the following season or the season after. It's harder to Im- implement this strategy, admittedly, during like weaker draft classes when that 110, 111, like if you look back at just, let's say, the previous year actually is a great example when guys like, as much as I love him, Rashad White, guys like Damian Pierce, even Trey McBride were sneaking into that first round because the end of the first round in the early second round were just one gigantic tier of equal hit rates and a lot of risk. So this strategy of postponing value to increase future value is definitely harder to implement during weaker draft classes because people don't want to pay a future first for 110 simply. But it is also 
an open path to year-to-year value increases, whether you're rebuilding or contending, should you be able to hold, pull these trades off and, you know, hold the market kind of uh, at ransom, if you will. With that said, I mean, we've covered basically everything that I can think of when I'm doing and how I perceive and what I do during rookie drafts. Now, if you're in leagues with me, I've given you all the sauce and you know how to manipulate me as well. That's what you get when you need a consolation episode to cover for the math magician himself. Much love, much respect. You want to know where to find me? It's at psychwardff on Twitter, on Instagram, on any social medias, wherever you get it. Follow us at Broto Fantasy. Go to brotofantasy.com for all of the updates, the, the download the app, obviously, but for all of the articles, everything. On the app, you can get everything you need to dominate fantasy football, period. End of promo. It's got exclusive stats, player cards, player comps, dynasty articles, redraft articles, waiver rankings, podcasts, up-to-minute news, push notifications that are ahead of literally every other app that exists. ESPN can't even beat us, yo. We out here. It's an army. You can find Tim at BrotoFF, Tim, Casanova at BrotoFF, Casanova, the twins, Mike and Jason at BrotoFF, Mike at BrotoFF, Jason. Follow us at FF by Brodo for all of the app updates on social media. Go to your app store, go to the Apple store, go to the Google Play store, download the Brodo Fantasy app for free. Literally everything you just heard me talk about today on this pod, on the app, and somehow still free. That somehow, the Patreons, Brodo Fantasy slash Patreon. Patreon slash Proto Fantasy. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Proto Fantasy for as little as $3 a month. You can get access to the Discord, which is, by the way, the greatest Discord in all of the land and community of Discords. We have everybody always shooting positive vibes in there, doing betting content. Obviously, NBA playoffs are popping in there, talking about hockey, talk about Dynasty. We got early redraft content popping off in the Discord as well. Exclusive waiver episodes go to the Discord. If you join for as little as $3 a month on Patreon.com slash Fantasy, you can also get access to me directly, DMs to the Dynasty Dawn to help you rebuild and rekindle those broken Dynasty rosters anytime, day or night. You at me, you tag me in the chats, and I hop in and bat like a bat single help you out um that was pretty good i think we'll end it there much love much respect peace till next time y'all